as winter slowly slipped away, so did the awful memories of Maria's time in St. Petersburg. A relative calm descended on the Milkett family. The whole world seemed to pause for breath as the hell of war has ended. The Tsarist rule was over, Poland became independent for the first time in many years, and Polish legionnaires managed to hold off the greedy hands of the Bolsheviks. The Polish nation was straightening its back after centuries of enslavement. Much of the feeling of depression was gone, and working for the country was the finest honor for every civilian. One day, an elegant drawn carriage arrived to the cottage, and a tall, handsome man got out closely followed by Jakub. His name was Isaac Rubin, and for a long time he had wanted to meet Jakub's family as they conducted a lot of business together. Maria stood on the porch in a green dress with white daisies, her thick black hair loose and just reaching her shoulder. The delicate wind raised the hem of her skirt despite her attempts to contain it with both hands. For a second her glance rested on this young man, very different from those she was used to. He seemed very cultured as he approached her with a friendly smile. Isaac worked in commerce, like the rest of his family, but have left their home in Vilnius to live alone in Mowodechno after a quarrel regarding their plans to marry him off. During the summer, Isaac asked Maria for her hand in marriage. This came as a surprise, as she never thought of him as a potential husband, treating him like a friend and sure that he felt the same. I'm sorry if I let you on, she said. In the picture book, got painted for me long ago, it is not you that I see beside me. I'm so sorry. I will always be very grateful for your friendship. They remained close, and whenever Isaac was free, he rushed to Litvinki and shared with Maria all his successes and misfortunes, content just to spend time together. He talked a lot about persecution and lack of tolerance towards his people, as well as describing wonderful Jewish weddings and moving religious songs. He also recounted incidents of outright unpleasantness, such as when angry youths broke into Jewish homes, smashing windows, throwing objects, destroying everything in their path, ripping duvets and cutting sidelocks of the Orthodox Jewish man. He hoped that the Jewish people would find their place in the world, perhaps returning to their homeland and regain the respect that they deserved. Their friendship lasted for almost 20 years, and in 1939, a few months before the outbreak of the Second World War, Isaac and his family left for America. Jakub was growing impatient as Maria was getting older. It was not uncommon Litvinki for girls to be married as early as 15 or 16, and Maria was already 21 by now. Helena, who was 19, and Olenka, 17, did nothing to hide their disappointment. They felt that Maria was wasting her time and in so doing placing huge obstacles in the way to their own happiness. Jakub even sought guidance on how to change Maria's mind from his brother Pavel. He invited him and another patriarch from the Orthodox Church to the house. An unusually lively atmosphere descended on Litvinki. Olenka and Helena ran around the house barely able to hide the excitement. From the direction of Kurienitz, a horse-drawn carriage arrived. The coachman pulled up flamboyantly with a perfectly executed circle, cracking his whip and bringing the horses to the sudden halt with great panache. In the coach, two men sat covered completely in black robes. To Olenka and Helena, they looked like two blackbirds and the girls started to giggle uncontrollably. Maria will not be able to escape now. Father said, enough is enough. Otherwise, he will throw her out. 
Stop it, Helena. You are always so nasty to Maria. She will never become the wife of a patriarch. She would have to pray all the time, sing religious songs and wear austere grey dresses. The papagia, patriarch's wife, cannot get away with tight skirts and blouses and long elegant black dresses. Maria is not meant for that life. They all sat at the table and the atmosphere was very pleasant, as Uncle Pave was always jovial and loved to joke. Only Maria seemed unhappy as she felt the persistent stare of the newly arrived young guest. Pavel sang the praises of Marta's legendary baking skills as he was fond of delicious cakes. After tea was served, Jakob asked his youngest daughters to join Marta in the kitchen and help with the dishes. When Maria also tried to join them, he stopped her abruptly. She sat down and looked at Jakob intently. Not right now. Patriarch Piot has come all the way from Vilnius. As he is about to take over a church nearby, he is looking for a clever and educated wife. I hope that this time you will be sensible and accept. Otherwise, I will have to ask you to leave home. Maria blushed, as her father had never spoken to her before in this manner. She found it very embarrassing to be put in a situation like this in front of educated young men. Uncle Pavel never imagined that Jakob would present the situation in such a soulless manner. The guest stirred awkwardly in his chair. He had hoped to have the time to get to know Maria. Instead, Jakob's proposal came like a bolt from the blue. It took some time for Maria to compose herself. When she did, she got up, placed her palms flat on the table and looked deeply into the young patriarch's eyes and said, I'm sorry that you made all this effort and travelled so far to come to dine with us in Itvinki. I did not know my father's intentions, otherwise you would not have found me here. My answer, to put it bluntly, is no. She turned to Jakub. And you, father, remember never to make any pacts regarding my future. If I'm in your way, I will leave the house and find work in Kurienitz, where they need teachers. Alternatively, I can leave for Vilnius. And you, Uncle Pavel, have disappointed me to no end by allowing yourself to be part of this unpleasant plot. At this, Maria left the room. A deadly silence descended. Pavel collapsed into the armchair. Jakub boiled with anger and lit his pipe in an effort to calm down. Nobody picked up the conversation. Helena and Olenka quickly moved away from the door where they had been eavesdropping. In moments like this, they wanted to be as far away from Jakub as possible. They also felt partly to blame as they had never stopped complaining about Maria. Marta sat in the garden trying to console the crying Maria. It was a much harder task than pacifying her younger daughters who cried often without much reason and when a quick embrace or cuddle would sort out these small troubles. She couldn't recall ever having seen Maria cry. Maria got up quickly, wiped her tears and looking around said, It's about time that you all understand that I have not loved anyone until now and if I ever marry it will be to someone who I choose myself. And 21 does not as you claim, make you an old maid. You are all living in the dark ages with all this fuss about dowries. The thought of you auctioning me this way makes me sick. Peace was eventually restored and everybody went about their normal daily duties. But Jakub rarely spoke to Maria. He appeared to lose some of his vigour and started to walk with a slight stoop. He knew he had lost his battle with his oldest daughter, but did not want to admit it. He did not threaten to ask her to leave the family home anymore. Maria busied herself with household chores. In her spare time, she read 
embroidered and went on shopping trips to Kirinitz. On one wonderful warm afternoon, she was walking slowly. She passed the house of the seamstress Rivka, where she bumped into Ida and Guza, the owners of two small shops nearby. They stopped Maria and encouraged her to step inside. She talked to them politely for a few minutes, sent her regards to their children, before quickly moving on. She knew if she stayed any longer, she would have to answer all the intrusive questions from these two well-known village gossip mongers. In all small towns and villages, everybody wanted to know everything, just as much as they loved to vent all their own troubles. They all insisted on knowing how Panna Maria was. They greatly emphasized the word Panna in contrast to Pani, used for the married woman. She replied politely and with a big smile updated them about her family, mother and sisters. She told them how happy she was that Poland was now free and to be back in her favorite places in the world, Litvinki and Kurienic. Failing to get any gossip from Maria, they soon moved on. Hannah, do you know that Maria's father is sitting on a large fortune, but is never enough for him. He's so angry that his daughter turned down all this money. What money, Sarah? No, Rubin's money. But there is more. Come closer, she said, leaning forward. She turned out the patriarch too. That was too much for Jakub. It's one thing to reject an ordinary man, but not a holy man. Maria entered Pani Pesca's tea rooms, where she was met with pleasant, friendly greetings. And what are we drinking today, Maria? Strong Georgian tea with mint or just herbal tea? Pani Pesca asked. I would love Georgian tea with fresh leaves of lemon mint, please. Both women smiled. The tea room was a sheltered oasis. It was the place to get one's favorite brew and also a portion of the latest news, most likely made up by the locals. But at least at Pesca's, Maria knew what she was letting herself in for and preferred to hear the idle gossip while drinking tea rather than standing in the shops of either Ida, Hannah or Guza. She disliked being accosted in the street, all the questioning and the way the women looked at her. Indeed, all the gossip mongers from town and country flocked to Pani Pesca tea room. Ida, Guza, Sara, Hannah and Krimukova all frequented this spot and the ladies' news got chewed over many times before it took on its final misleading and often unkind form. Maria settled in the shade and sipped tea from a white porcelain cup, just the way she liked it to be served. Do you know, my dear, they talk about you all the time. If it was Klimukova, I would have forgiven her, but not these two. It's so embarrassing. Also, do you know what Hannah has been telling everybody about your father recently? She said, pausing for a breath. She said that Milkat had buried a large pot of gold in the garden. I will not even mention the trunk, but everybody knows that dowry is in there. Are you listening, young lady? Of course, to continue, the tea is excellent. It is so nice here and reminds me of St. Petersburg. Coffee shops. I apologize. I was lost in my thoughts. But do continue. Ha! You really make me happy, Maria. My tea shop is like in St. Petersburg. What a shame Guza is not around here to hear that. But coming back to Hannah, she's so nasty. Who could have a pot of gold in this tough post for times? Hannah said she saw him digging a hole and burying it. But how could she see anything at night time? And who dared do such a thing in the broad daylight? She said that the pot was black, but how would she be able to see it in a pitch darkness? Tell me, Maria, if this is true. 
If she is lying, then she really should go and see the rabbi and get help. Peske wiped her forehead as the combination of the hot infusion and her verbal exertions had exhausted this elderly woman. Maria listened with great patience and smiled on her face. All this gossip about the trunk is probably my fault, she said, trying to pacify the old woman. I once referred to the trunk as my treasure, but I was speaking only figuratively. It, it does indeed contain very precious things gifted to me by the most special people. As for the black pot of gold, you would have to ask my father when you see him. She got up, thanked Pesca for the delicious tea, and bid her farewell. Maria set off with a spring in her step. Her floaty dark green dress was fitting the waist and reached down to her ankles. Occasionally a gust of wind would reveal a flush of her long tan legs and an angora crochet sweater kept sliding from her rounded shoulders. Hot tea and portion of local gossip had warmed her up. Her cheeks were flushed and her chestnut hair glistened with an orange glow from the setting sun as she happily jumped over the many potholes on her return. On her way, she popped in to see Rivka, one of the poorest women in Kurenitz, who had three children, of which the oldest Golda wanted to be a seamstress. Milk and family very often sent Rivka eggs, cheese, butter and flour to try and help her out. The old woman commanded respects as she worked hard, kept her nose clean, was very polite and never had a bad word to say about anybody, which was a rarity in these parts. Maria started to think about Jakob's gold. If the stories were true, and Maria had no reason to doubt them, he had worked for it very hard. He never took anything from anybody, neither did he wait in vain like others for the proverbial manna from heaven. The fate of the black pot remained a mystery forever. The family came up with many stories, but none of them provided a satisfactory explanation. Maria established from her mother that Jakob did often change the location of his treasure. The last known time he did so was in 1939, when he buried the gold coins in the nearby forest, under a tree, in a spot which nobody would be able to pinpoint, even Marta. What Jakub did with the gold during and after the Second World War, nobody knew. Most of the family suspected that he tried to bribe members of the communist NKVD, the People's Commissariat for Internal Affairs, in an attempt to get his daughter Maria back. Indeed, the closest family members remembered the old men making daily trips to cursed Soviet institutions. Barrett was never answered. He remained silent on the subject even when he reached the age of 97 and a mysterious smile would sometimes cross his face. His pale, tearless eyes would stare into the distance as he contemplated those lost years spent in the waiting rooms of Bolshevik-run administrative offices. All this time he was awaiting the return of his eldest daughter. By then he was confused, not knowing which direction she was likely to return from, east or west. He could not remember who had taken her and even if she would recognize him if she walked past. Impoverished by now, he sat for hours on the steps of his veranda, waiting and listening for her light footsteps, hoping he would feel her hand on his shoulder and hear the sound of her soft whisper. Do not worry, father. I really know what I want from my life, and I have everything perfectly mapped out in my head. Oh, my dear daughter, you are so naive. Where are your plans now? They are all broken, and you will never be able to piece them together again. Then he prayed and begged God for mercy. He wanted to see Maria before he died. Somehow, 
He felt Maria must be going through inhuman suffering and he wanted to make it better for her, wherever she was. Maybe that is why he held on to his pot of gold. His prayers travelled to God too slowly. Jakub died before he had a chance to see Maria again. On his cold lips, the question, is Maria back, seemed to linger forever. The summer was drawing to a close. Around Litvinki, Vileka and Mołodeczno, Polish army settlers arrived taking over the abandoned and neglected land. These were the young men who had fought for the freedom of Poland and succeeded in keeping the Bolsheviks at bay. One day, Maria and Helena set off to the forest to gather wild mushrooms. The forest had been particularly generous that year with the abundance of chanterelles, saps and wild red bilberries. Olenka remained at home making preparations for the mushroom picking celebration, which each year filled the house with people, music and dancing. An echo carried girls' voices into the forest. Helena put down her basket and looked at her older sister. They both looked rather funny. Maria wore a slightly too short golden brown summer dress and long wellingtons. A straw hat adorned with golden maple leaves was perched on top of her head. Helena wore a long maroon skirt and a very old hat which made her appear taller than Maria. Both girls wore their hair in braids which they had tucked under their head coverings. Maria examined herself and burst into laughter again. Helena looked at Maria. Actually, you look beautiful, like a young lady autumn. Not the departing one, but the one that has just arrived. The girls left the forest and took the road leading to Vileka, which ran between Jakub's estate and some wasteland. There, in the distance, they noticed a young man elegantly sitting astride a horse. Maria, who was a very accomplished rider herself, immediately noticed his proficient horsemanship. Look how elegantly he sits in the saddle. Oh, I'm not sure what you mean. He's just sitting there, replied Helena. The rider surveyed his surroundings like a victorious conqueror after battle, unsure whether to build a monument to his fallen colleagues or to move on and look for a new place to settle. He spotted both girls leaving the forest, tapped his chestnut horse gently and in an instant appeared right beside them. He dismounted looked at them almost possessively and laughed loud. The girls laughed nervously too. Maria regained her composure, stopped laughing and immediately regretted both her ridiculous outfit and her fit of giggles. The stranger was a tall young man with sapphire blue eyes and perfect posture. He certainly looked very interesting to her and by now Maria could feel his hot gaze upon her too. The young man found it difficult to utter even a single word and could not avert his eyes from the strange forest fairy. They looked at each other intently and somehow everything seemed to happen beyond their control. She felt that if she continued to stare, she would certainly faint. Fire took possession of her heart and body. I know him from somewhere, as I have seen his face before in my dreams and I have known him for many years. I must be hypnotized. God, give me courage, as I know I'm ready to follow him anywhere. She heard his soft voice. My name is... But she could not quite catch his name. Can you please show me the road to Litvinki, to Pan Milket's house? He asked politely. 
What a question to ask. Everybody knows all the roads here, even the little ones through the meadows. Helena looked at her sister bemused. What was happening to Maria? She was always so resolute and confident while talking to strangers, and Helena was always in awe of her self-assurance. Now she was silent. Perhaps she was feeling unwell. When the stranger repeated the question, Helena looked indifferently at him and replied politely. We are the daughters of Parmilket, and we are going their way. You can walk with us. We live at the entrance to the village. Our house is the largest one, as father built two additional rooms when Maria got back from St. Petersburg, she offered. Who is Maria? My sister, right here, the one that looks like Lady Autumn. Now tell us who you are. The young man, who was dressed in an officer's uniform, only now took his eyes off Maria, grateful to have received an answer. If it was not for Helena, perhaps he would have still Maria, take her into his arms and ride with her into the unknown. I'm not really a stranger. In fact, quite the opposite. I have been given land bordering yours and I'm hoping to settle here. I trust we will be good neighbours. I would like to pay your father a visit and I must confess that I've fallen in love with Cressy, the Easter borderlands. Maria listened intently and so far had not uttered a word. She was unsettled by this idea and did not like the feeling that had taken hold of her heart. As it is the tradition, tonight in Lotvinki we are going to celebrate the arrival of the mushroom season. There will be many young men and ladies, and we usually gather at somebody's house to sing and dance. When our father meets you, I'm sure he will invite you to join us, said Helena. A handsome man listened intently, still watching the charming Lady Autumn. Maria persisted in her silence and was grateful to Helena for keeping the conversation alive. If it was not for her, she would have escaped to the forest for a moment of introspection to understand what was happening to her and why this unexpected passion had taken over her body and soul. Helena tugged gently at Maria's dress and she still could not comprehend what was going on. Maria could feel the warm breath of the young man, realize that he was very close, but this did not bother her as she already felt she knew him very well. She cast her mind back to Christmas and New Year all those years ago in Finland and the many other occasions when she had yearned for love, rejecting others and knowing for sure that the true love was somewhere for her to find. Maria felt her shyness depart and quickly regained her usual lightness. Everybody stopped. Maria didn't want this walk to end and asked the young man his name, which only irritated Helena. Have you been asleep? He has told us his name twice already. It is Antony. Antony leaned against his horse. Maria joined him as if they were alone. She looked again into his blue eyes. They were as bright as a cloudless sky, and she saw herself and her future there. He was not sure when his hand travelled down to her waist, and embarrassed, wanted to retract it. She didn't protest, but instead leaned in even closer. In her beautiful dark eyes, love was already burning and taking hold. Maria felt she had finally found the love that she had been waiting for. Helena remained oblivious to what was developing between these two strangers. They had fallen in love at first sight. Maria was determined to follow him anywhere without a word of explanation. Antony continued to hold on to her waist, not wanting to let her go for any price. Jakub politely greeted his new neighbour and extended offers to help him in the future. The young officer thanked for the promised assistance, but was conscious of not overstaying his welcome. 
He approached Maria, took hold of her shaking hand. He was finding it difficult to leave her. I will show you a shortcut to Kurienitz, she offered. Jakub observed her curiously, as he knew the road was straight and not that long. Maria gently took hold of Antony's arm. They stopped beneath a spreading poplar tree, where Antony embraced Maria, kissed her face, eyes and neck, and she passionately offered him her lips. I've been looking for you for a long time, and now I've found you. For many years you were in my dreams and in my heart, and now my wonderful horse had led me to you, Maria. The obedient horse, walking beside them, seemed to nod his head in agreement. Tomorrow I will ask your father for your hand in marriage. The land that Pan Antony acquired was quite sizable, stretching to almost 60 acres. The soil had to be readied for autumn sowing. The new neighbor visited Litvinki every day, and Maria would be sure to take out her best dresses. Martha observed her daughter with great affection, as they understood each other perfectly without the need for words. Jakub, however, pretended not to notice anything. The warm, golden Indian summer was conducive to love. Maria felt alive again, as if it was springtime, full of promise, blossom and wonderful aromas. The potato fields glowed with burning bonfires. Maria and Antony often joined the local children with their charcoal smudged faces as they sat baking and eating tasty potatoes. A month later, Antony asked Jakub for Maria's hand in marriage. Jakub did not agree. You must be crazy, young man. We have only known each other for a few weeks, and you want to take my greatest treasure. I need time to think about it, but for now the answer is no. Helena, as usual, was listening with her ear glued to the door, and she wanted to be first to convey the good news. Jakub left Litvinki for a few days, and on his return he seemed to be a changed man. He joked a lot and even bought his wife a beautifully embroidered sheepskin coat. Everybody was convinced that he must have done a good business deal. Martha, next Sunday please invite the whole family over. Business has been very good indeed. Prepare a piglet. Nobody can roast it like you can. Also look up some of Maruta's delicious recipes. She always had the magic touch in the kitchen. Sunday came and Maria was getting ready for her trip to town where her mother entered. Please stay. I do not think you have heard the latest news. Father has sent for Antony. Maria went to change, put on a fitted black dress and swept all her hair back, fixing it with a shiny gold headband over her forehead. Antony arrived soon afterwards, dressed in dark suit and a blue shirt. They entered the main room, where all the guests were already seated, and Jakob introduced the new neighbour. All the relatives looked at Maria with admiration, and with gratitude towards the young man who had taken upon himself to develop the nearby wasteland. After dinner, Jakub lit the pipe. He cleared his throat, as usual stroked his moustache. Suddenly he got up and announced, I have great news to share with you. I would like to introduce to you my future son-in-law. Delighted Helena and Olenka jumped on the chairs, shouting, At last! At last! Everybody stared at Antony. He blushed a little, and his violet eyes twinkled playfully. He could not hide his delight, and came after everybody shaking their hands. Maria, however, stood like a statue, unmoved and serious, as if she was about to take her vows. They approached her mother and father, thanking them both. 
My dear boy, I entrust with you, my child. She is both beautiful and clever, brought up here and in St. Petersburg. From both houses she acquired priceless gifts, pride, honesty, kindness, and sensitivity to human suffering. He took out his handkerchief, wiped his forehead, and continued. Somebody filled Jakob's glass and handed it back to him. He downed out in one gulp. Everybody followed his example and rejoiced in the celebrations. All the sisters and cousins proceeded to kiss Maria and Antony. Silence, please. I have not finished, said Jakub. Children, I shall help you to build a house and plant an orchard. That is our custom. Let it grow with you and bear fruit for you. I will also give you a section of the forest. It actually belongs to Martha, as it came with the dowry, but it is for everybody to enjoy. I will give you some land too. And now, may God bless you both. Maria and Antony were married at the end of October in a small local wooden church. Her dress was made of a white muslin. She wore a beautiful small headpiece with a veil of the most delicate fabric, like a spider's web, knitted in the early morning dew. She held a bouquet of white anemones. The groom was dressed in a dark suit and looked so handsome with his sapphire-like eyes white teeth, full lips, and a slight dimple in the right cheek. The church was crowded, as there were not just family and friends present, but also many curious onlookers from the town. Everybody wanted to see who this proud, stubborn girl had finally chosen. In front of the church, Guza, Ida, Hannah, Sarah, and other shopkeepers gathered. Even Pani Peske has closed her tea room for a few hours. The organ started to play. The bells started to toll, the church ones happily, and those of the Orthodox Church mournfully. They tolled in tandem, just as Jakub had requested. Jakub's chest was shaking from sobbing. He held tightly to Marta's hand, seeking calm and reassurance. His daughter was leaving home, and the Orthodox Church had lost a faithful believer. At the end of the ceremony, all those gathered greeted the young couple with their best wishes. Klimukova was the only exception, ranting in her usual manner with a grimace on her face. He accepted a stranger and a Catholic on top of everything, but he prays in the Orthodox Church as if he was a saint, the traitor, for a few extra acres he sold his daughter and her faith. Jakub now poured as much energy into helping the newlyweds as he had originally done in looking for a husband for Maria. Unfortunately, the water source for the first house that Jakob helped them build dried up after only three years and they were forced to start from scratch. They built a new house on a small hill on the edge of the forest very close to the spring. By 1929, all the building work was completed. Maria was already the mother of two children, a boy called Edmund and a daughter, Alicia, who they lovingly called Lila. It was obvious from the first years of their marriage that Jakub was very fond of his son-in-law, spending all of his free time at Litvinovka, which was the name that they gave to Antony's and Maria's estate. Antony was very well respected, and with each year his group of friends grew. His open and friendly face meant that he was easily trusted. He loved Jakub like his own father, and was grateful for all the help offered. Jakub looked on at Maria with amazement, as he never suspected that this delicate, slender woman, 
who had been brought up in a big city, would have so much energy and be able to manage the estate so well. Maria imposed strict discipline in the household and everybody knew their duties very well. She respected the people who worked for the estate and they in turn respected her. She managed almost everything as Antony had additional work commitments in Vilnius. Maria employed two maids, Olga and Anna. Olga's parents died when she was only 15 and in Litvinovka she found a new home and employment. She was a very fast learner and quickly took on many of the household duties, in particular the care of Maria's children. Within a few years she had learned to read and write, cook and serve table. She effectively became Maria's right hand. She worked in Litvinovka until that traumatic night of 10th of February 1940. Apart from running the estate and his work in Vilnius, Antony devoted a lot of this time to the neighbouring town. He helped to build a municipal hall for the locals and also gathered and bought books for the library where he introduced lessons for the benefit of those who could not read and write. The inhabitants of Kurienitz, who had so openly criticised him in the past, quickly forgot that he was an outsider and enthusiastically offered their help. His popularity meant that he was able to gather around him large groups of people who shared his vision, many of whom remained friends for years. Time passed and youth inexorably petered away. Even the flame of the local gossips Ida and Guza was slowly being extinguished. Their once thick black hair was covered in grey, their faces were ploughed with wrinkles, their chests concave, and their breasts sucked under the burden of difficult years. Now only very rarely did they lift their heads when somebody passed their shops. It was as if their inner voice was mocking them. Not for you to look up any more. Your time has gone. You were young and pretty once, but no more. The body you were given is ruined now, and you are grey and wrinkled like the earth beneath your feet. Look down now, and this is the place of your last journey. The two still remained friends and all the past pettiness was forgotten. They sat slouched on the bench and behind the counters of the shops stood the next generation. Jakob still looked young for his age and his tanned face and dark lively eyes contrasted with his completely white hair and beard. He still had uncommon energy and was jovial and eager to work. His stubbornness, firmness in all matters, resistance to change and overbearing demeanour had all disappeared. He never spoiled his own children, particularly Mikoa and Helena. Olenka never let her despotic father run her life and never worked very hard. He always had a soft spot for Maria and let her have her own way, with one exception which he never regretted. He was very accommodating towards his grandchildren, spoiling them as much as he could. In 1932, on a sunny March afternoon in Vilnius, Maria gave birth to twin girls. They differed markedly in both looks and, as it transpired later, in character. Litvinovka greeted the new members of the family with great delight, especially as this family had never had twins before, and because these two seemed to be very special. The elder twin, by twenty minutes, who they called Danusha, was very thin and weighed only two kilograms at birth, while the younger, Janina, weighed double that. From the outset, the family was divided in their affection, as some of the members took a shine to the smaller girl, the other half admiring the chubby twin with her rolls of fat. Jakub belonged to the latter group and wondered how she could have been so greedy. 
Even the nannies were divided, and each chose the favourite. Anna loved the slight one. Olga loved the younger one. The girls grew quickly, but were always different. The grandparents helped to look after the children whenever parents were especially busy. In order to quiet the mischievous twins, they often told them old fables, some of which were quite scary. The younger twin, who they nicknamed Nunya, was particularly naughty. She would often pretend to be asleep, but as soon as Babja Mata left the bedroom, the little rascal would jump out of bed and on her tiptoes rampage through the drawers, cabinets and wardrobes of her parents' bedroom. Jakub would complain about the little mouse running havoc again. Anna was not impressed and often complained to Maria about the younger twin. Pani Milket, Jakub and Anton really spoil this child and I worry how she will turn out. They barely allow me to touch Nunia, afraid that I might hurt her. My father often beat us, particularly my brother. He used to say, you have to warm up the bottom for the blood to flow to the head. After listening to all this advice, Babcia Marta on one occasion decided to slap naughty Nunia on the bottom. But the child did not shed a tear, and Marta burst into tears instead. She regretted listening to her mate and followed her own instincts from then on. Often, when the parents returned home, Nunya was forced to apologize. She always found it very difficult and would prefer to be punished than say sorry. Even when she was much older, this world seemed to paralyze her lips.